0: Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is a show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. On today's podcast, we are talking to Jovi. She is a senior content or a senior threat content writer and Malware Threat Analysis for malware bytes based in Liverpool, but working for the company which is a Californian company, but uh, global reach. And then later on in the show, we've got some tech news. And we've got a special guest. We've got David Breer joining us. He's uh, from FinTech Insiders and 11FS, but... Uh, Yeah, a bit of a podcast superhero. So good to have him join us talking about fintech, talking a little bit about Facebook and also Monzo and some of the things that he can see uh, developing in the fintech market. But before that, and that was a long intro. Hiya, Robin. (laughs)
1: Hi. How are you? I'm very well. You're going on
0: holiday. I'm going
1: on holiday. I go on holiday on Tuesday morning. No, that's light. Wednesday morning. What time? Um, my flight is at half seven in the morning.
0: What time? Which airport?
1: Uh, Gatwick. Good weather Yeah, I know. too like two. But no, actually, you say that, but an airport is super expensive. Still. They no, do. no, no.
0: But it's great because I, I don't. I don't believe that any holiday should start hmm. without a trip to Weatherspoons.
1: <laughs> yeah. Duty free Weatherspoons. I know. So the, the duty free. Yeah. It's pints all round. Hol-
0: holiday is know. about. Oh, is about. Breakfast with beer.
1: Breakfast with beer.
0: Doing stuff that you shouldn't do
1: mm.
0: at Wetherspoons.
1: So also, apparently, it's going to be hotter in England than what it is <laughs> in madeira <beer, laughs> which just sucks. I'm so annoyed. It's going to be hot here. Hang on, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Right, hang on. It's going to be very hot, but that doesn't mean that it might not be hot in Madeira, right? I mean, what's the oh yeah,
1: it's still going to it's going to be average like you know 24, 26.
0: Yeah, and you'll be in a beautiful place True. with. The beach.
1: Yeah.
0: First holiday with Joss.
1: It's sharp. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> yes, it is. Better than the office. It, better better than, than the office. Yeah, better than the office. But I think the idea of holiday is you go on holiday and then it's raining in England and it's cold and then you come back and then it's nice and warm. Yeah. But, I, but I could just see this playing as, it's going to be really hot while I'm away, and coming back and I could just imagine it raining and wind, windy and that's what's going to happen. Right, but, so hang on, hang on.
0: Mm-hmm. Quick one. Um... I assume that you each have a piece of hold luggage. Oh sorry, of cabin luggage. I assume so. Yeah. Are you taking whole luggage as well? Have you paid extra? I mean,
1: uh, um, I think so. Because <laughs> because so. my experience, like
0: Haley, <laughs> Haley basically fills a suitcase with shoes no, every I'm time that we go on holiday, most of which she never wears. Yeah,
1: I'm. I'm not compared to most people. I'm not a massive overpacker. Yeah. Like, I'm. I'm always quite way under my baggage limit. I have no wear. idea what we
0: take on holiday. I get there and I'm just like, but, oh, but so I, I this I is do what. But I do
1: pack like a million outfits that I right. probably don't wear. because you never know? You're going to need to change three times in a day. might. <laughs> like, Really? <laughs> I'm joking, though? No. Okay. But, but yeah, I think um, it's always good to have more clothes and not enough, right?
0: Speaking of Joss, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Joss is also running the Young Frown Marathon with me. I'm beginning to get a bit terrified oh, that's about in that.
1: September. September
0: the 7th. The I'm 7th. beginning to get scared.
1: How's the training going?
0: Yeah, it's going. But <laughs> it, it's... <laughs> I uh, So I, I did a video which we posted on the Tech Talks Twitter feed and Instagram recently where I stood outside the shard looking up at the shard. And when you stood at the bottom of the shard looking up at it, yeah, it's high, but you're still like,
1: nah. <laughs> yeah.
0: whatever, it's a building, I can run up that, I can run up six of those, of course I can
1: six of those six six
0: and a half of those
1: oh my god but
0: then I I hosted an event halfway up the shard and when you're halfway up the shard looking back down at the ground (laughs) and you go this is effectively one twelfth (laughs) of what I've got to climb in a very short period of time then you go oh Oh, did
1: you 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 should have taken the stairs up to that route and you would have got a better feel exactly what it's going to be like no because it's (laughs)
0: It's not going to be like climbing stairs.
1: Well, is it quite a steep,
0: like yes, a steep yes. run? Yes, yes.
1: So it's going to be just as hard as climbing stairs. <sighs> right. I mean, Josh done some training yesterday for it. I think he's doing quite a lot of the treadmill work, but it's just we have it on quite a high. Incline. Yeah, 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 and he's finding it quite hard. Is he hating life? He's hating life when he's on it. He's finding it really difficult. But <sighs> I think every every time we do that, it makes it a tiny bit easier on the day. But I think it's quite hard to train for stuff like that. Mm. Mountain running, like how often? Like what kind of? Where can you go? Where have you been going?
0: well i haven't I've, I've just been doing i've just <laughs> been doing lots of like burpees and squats <laughs> that's lots of burpees and yeah it's squat of course they are oh it's
1: right i was thinking burpees was thinking lunges and squats oh sorry yeah it's the no, same as squats incline. yeah squats yeah, 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 yeah. that's a good
0: start here's, here's a tenuous link into today's interview uh jovi when talking about getting into security just try it don't give in to your doubts if you want to climb up a mountain Try it. Don't give up. Your, don't yeah, give I your like doubts.
1: that. I like that. I think it's always worth trying these things, isn't it? Because I think even though you're gonna probably climbing yeah, a
0: mountain, yeah. being a threat,
1: malware analyst, <laughs> yeah, same
0: level of risk. Well, actually, no. I mean, this might actually kill me, but um,
1: yeah, it actually could. <laughs>
0: you don't so say that's quite so bad. <laughs> there wasn't even any hint of irony there.
1: Oh, God. No. Right, anyway, uh,
0: on to today's interview. Um, yes, as I said, Jovi works for Malware Bytes. Uh, it's an interesting interview. It covers lots of stuff around education, um, remote working, data privacy, and also getting into the security industry. Uh, stick with us afterwards. We will have some thoughts on this interview. And then later on in the show, as I said, David Breer from FinTech Insiders is going to be joining me for some technology news. So today we're chatting to Jovi. Uh, Jovi, you work for Malwarebytes, um, a, and, and you're a malware intelligence analyst. Is that correct?
2: Yes, and I'm also a senior threat content writer for the malware La- Malwarebytes Labs blog.
0: And Malwarebytes is a Californian business. Yes, it is. But you are based in Liverpool. I
2: am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a little bit different. I mean, both West Coast, but slightly different coasts. Mm-hmm. How come? How come you're in Liverpool and and, and not out in California, if you don't mind me asking?
2: Oh, um, Malwarebytes is one of those companies that actually welcome um, remote um, remote workers. Mm -hmm. Most of most of uh, the members in my team are work remotely. Some of them work in the Netherlands. Um, Some of them work in um, they're in the Eastern time zone as well. So it's 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 great. Uh, We use a tool to communicate, and we're normally around during the um, the times when the the US people are around, right. so we, we, keep, we keep in touch.
0: Look, just out of interest, I've, I've heard a lot of businesses say, ah, oh, you know, remote or, or virtual teams is absolutely fine because there are tools these days that make it very mm-hmm. easy. And I've kind of gone along with that in a lot of instances and gone, oh, yeah, okay, fair enough, you're the ones doing it, I can understand it. But um, mm-hmm. I'm assuming there has to be a little bit more. I mean, do you, do you have get-togethers just to help cement that, that connection at some point? Or, or honestly, can it all be done via tools?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, as much as we can, we we, we do um, a bi-weekly meetup with uh, the entire marketing team since, since I'm part of the marketing team. Mm-hmm. And since we can't go to uh, California every every two weeks, we do a Zoom interview with cameras on and then we show ca- uh, we show pictures and people in the office would show their pictures and they would like flip it there in the big screen so everyone else who are in video would see the pictures they're showing about events that happened in the company that we weren't there to witness and enjoy. And we, we share meals with them as well, but we, we don't actually like eat with them. We, we just share a drink, but they, in, people in the office would um, have a get together, uh, chat and stuff. It, it, it builds up uh, team building and, you know, report among members who, who actually don't know each other, but they're working with each other in certain projects.
0: Now, what services are Malwarebytes actually pro- providing to their customers? And and who are your customers? I, I assume it's a mixture of B2C and B2B, but I might be wrong. Yes,
2: yes, that's correct. We, we cater to customers and businesses. Um, the, our, our products protect our customers from malware, um, from potentially malicious uh, URLs, where um, users would accidentally or deliberately click on from emails or social media sites. And um, we also have um, the feature called anti-ransomware and anti-exploit in our main product, which is the Malwarebytes 3.0 Premium.
0: Now, what I find always interesting is that, despite all of the various clever tools that are available now within your marketplace, and there are a huge Mm -hmm. range of different tools available to organizations and individuals to uh, ward off lots of different forms of attacks, It Mm -hmm. still seems to be the education piece rather than tooling of the software that is the barrier or the hurdle to, to, I suppose, better safety online. Is that fair?
2: I think it is, yeah, because um, we can't just expect everything that the tools will do for us. Uh, There's a certain degree that users would have to do something for themselves. For example, um, if someone... You you probably know or you don't know online would pop in on a Skype chat and say, "Hey, I saw a video of you in this link. Oh my gosh, you should see it!" And there's a link there. Um, the, the The temptation is for that person to click the link. The product can only do so much as to actually remove the 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 link, or in a way that it will make it unclickable. Mm. But if the, the recipient actually copies the link and pastes it to the URL, then there's nothing we can do. So in a way, there's, there's a certain amount of, of education and awareness that needs to be uh, shared and given to people so that they would know what to do. That if they see a link that has been disabled by their, um, by their chat um, tool, for example, or a warning from their browser tells them that it's not safe to visit their site, maybe it's a good idea to actually not visit it.
0: But the thing that gets me is we've been talking about this kind of stuff for four or five years. And
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, do you think that there's this problem that we just don't, don't consider the people in our offices to be a threat? Is that naive?
2: The the smallest problem I can think of is that whether they are a danger or not, someone can still pull a prank on you because they, they actually do that. Um, in, in, in my previous work, um, especially when they implemented this, always lock your desktop or laptop thing in the office. And someone would like um, unthinkingly uh, step out of their laptops or work machines. Those sitting around them would actually pull the prank on them, um, lock whatever it is, or like send an email to whoever. And then once this person comes back, he doesn't know that someone has been um, fiddling with their laptop and in already... some
0: instances, it can, I suppose, escalate accidentally, and
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: I <yeah. laughs> <laughs> you know, those pranks do happen. I I have had them played on me, but there we go. Uh,
2: <gasps> I I, went, I
0: had my my Facebook profile picture chained to a sonogram, mm. which uh, <laughs> was probably probably one of the cleverer ones. But uh, yeah, anyway, that personal embarrassment. I should really learn from that. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> what what practical steps um, then can people take to? Pre- to protect themselves on a serious front you know if, if you're talking about people in business people of businesses weakest link still what are the practical steps that you advise that people can take to, to, to be more sensible and careful
2: I think businesses should um, take should actually conduct trainings for their employees and not just those who are public facing like technical support they should um, do training consistently for everyone including the executives Um, I found that in in, uh, a recent study that executives are being targeted by a certain kind of fish called a business email compromise. And uh, what they do is they target the the, the cyber criminals send email to whoever is the exec of the company. And of course, the exec who hasn't undergone any training would fall for these scams and send money to whoever is asking their money. Um, even even the savvy ones, I think there, there has been recent reports that a, a Latvian man was able to get money out of Facebook and Google because he pretended to be a third party that is like doing business with both companies. They, they eventually caught him, but um, it, it could have been prevented. So education is one, and two is, um, It wouldn't hurt to actually do a phishing test in your company, like um, you you do it unannounced, you you hire a third party to do a phishing test simulation for you and your employees, wherein um, they would send an email, which is actually a phishing email that is quite believable, and then they would send it to everyone and they would record who would click the link from there, they go into why, why a lot of people have clicked the links or why less people have clicked the links. What worked, what didn't work, and then they adjust from there. I think that that's very effective. I've had, I've I've undergone certain kind of phishing simulations um, in my previous and my current companies, and, and it really worked. Yeah, and look, you've also
0: recently uh, launched a report, malware byte studies when I what I mean they yes, into yes. into UK specific stats around data privacy. Um, and it outlines consumer trust against social media platforms search engines and generational differences which would mm-hmm. be quite That's interesting because I, I, I on the podcast we often talk about uh, Gen Y baby boomers Gen Z millennials and, and sometimes we go oh there are significant differences and sometimes we go ah, it's a whole load of rubbish there is you know it's just products of environment and, and we're overstating this mm-hmm. what, did, what did the report find I'd just be interested to to kind of know what your, what your conclusions were
2: um, so just, just to be clear, we actually had a, a worldwide survey wherein we, we got the general um, feel of what uh, our respondents feel about privacy, mm-hmm. um, What how, how do they rate their social media and search engines based on their trust, um, what are the cybersecurity best practices they do and what they don't do, how confident are they in sharing personal information. Um, data online and all that and then after that um we also compared the generational and um, regional privacy feelings and uh, behaviors of emea regions and the north american regions
0: forgive me but i would have assumed that across europe and north america individuals would have had a there would have been a certain amount of correlation between attitudes of how much data they should and shouldn't share or what they should share online. And maybe that's wrong. Maybe different countries, individuals have a very different view of it.
2: From what I get, actually, is that a lot of people are saying that um, has, since since EMEA has more privacy rules than North America, they should be more aware of um, privacy practices and what to do compared to um, those in North America. But according to our studies, sometimes in certain generations, that is true. But overall, people in EMEA and people in North America are actually equally, almost equally privacy savvy as well. Mm. I mean, that, so- doesn't,
0: that doesn't surprise me because although Europe has GDPR and has yeah. more more um, legislation and uh, regulation around this in mm-hmm. North America, the amount of people who've actually enacted uh, subject access requests is, is very, very low, right? So it would suggest that, although regulation may be working or may be present, maybe people themselves are no more or less savvy than North American citizens. I, I don't know.
2: Um, it's probably because of GDPR that a lot of people look into EMEA and say, oh, this is so great. America should learn from them. When actually Americans and uh, respondents in America and EMEA are actually at, almost at par when it comes to, be, to privacy savviness. That, that also reflects in our um, survey.
0: What what else was what else jumped out of the survey at you that that was particularly surprising?
2: Overall, I think our our survey um, destroyed that the the not not really destroyed but challenged the notion that um, baby boomers are clueless when it comes to protecting their data online. Um, One of my colleagues who who was a who used to work at the legal affairs. Um, used to have uh, people or lawyers tell him that their bosses, who are seniors, uh, would how would they would normally um, change passwords, um, always apply two-factor authentication, always secure um, important documents in in portals and stuff. I mean, they're they're doing this more than um, what Gen Xers, millennials, and centennials are doing and another thing is um millennials do actually care about their privacy um that, that's another um notion that uh, our report challenged
0: when we say millennials do we include gen z in that out of interest or
2: um no gen z's um in our survey is um they, they're called the centennials they're um right. 17 years old and younger
0: it did, did, was there any d- difference there in terms of their attitudes towards data? I mean, they're they're the first truly digital native generation. I mean, millennials, I'm a millennial. I've got a hell of a lot of gray hair. And <laughs> phones when I was a teenager weren't particularly uh, advanced. So I'm always kind of mm-hmm. like, millennials are kind of on the cusp. I, I get that a lot of millennials are digital natives, but centennials or Gen Zs are slightly different proposition, right?
2: Gen- centennials are actually more... Um more privacy savvy than millennials.
0: Right, okay. That's not what I would have thought. That's surprising. I, I, I sat through a report recently where, where someone suggested that they, sh- you know, they share so much data that they don't really seem to care, but you're, you're saying that's not the case.
2: No, that's not the case. They're, they're not really comfortable sharing about their information online compared to um, right. millennials, okay. but, they, but they only differ to a degree. They're, okay. they're, they're both um, privacy savvy. But Centennials are more they hold on to their data more than the millennials.
0: I guess maybe uh, my generation just kind of everything exploded and we shared everything and without kind of thinking about it and then went, Oh Christ, cat's out (laughs) of that one. (laughs) (laughs) So how how long have you been working in the cyber industry now?
2: Oh, you won't believe it, but I'm sixteen years in the industry now.
0: It's, it's an industry where like, I regularly talk to, to, to security experts and they go, you know, we've still, got a, we've still got a terrible skill shortage. If you look at the stats, it's something like 600,000 jobs apparently in the US mm-hmm. left unfulfilled. So there's a demand for people to come and work in the space. Uh, yet there seems to be a bit of an issue of getting people in, into the industry, through the door. So what, yeah. what would your tips be with 16 years worth of experience to people who are interested in getting into, into security? how they would go about
2: it. Whenever I'm asked this question, I would always say just just try it. I I know you're interested and I know they feel that they they're not up to it. But just try it. Um, if you need if you feel that they need to undergo training, go take that training and then try it. If you're going to give in to your doubts, you you might not go anywhere and you might not feel fulfilled whenever you, if you take the other route
0: just having a look i was trying to kind of have a look at your education um you, you did a you did a bachelor of science in information technology um yes are there any other kind of courses maybe if someone hasn't done technology at university that you'd say look you're still totally kind of got high potential to do well in this industry
2: oh definitely as long as you're passionate about um information security as long as you're willing and open to learn more because it's, if, even when I'm in, he, in the industry, I still need to continuously learn, else um, I would be left behind.
0: And how do you go about that learning process? What, what kind of sources do you look for for information?
2: Um, I, I look for trainings actually, and I, I constantly read about stuff. Reading, yeah. reading is good. And um, whenever there's like free free webinars out there, which there are a lot, yeah take it and they might say something that would interest you so you, you can you can go with that as well
1: okay uh,
2: and um if you if you want to be if you want to code um you, you can buy books and do trainings for that as well share what you know with their friends and family
0: so look, you're over in Liverpool. You're working in this, this remote team. But what's next for Malwarebytes in terms of what you your team are doing and the overall strategy for the company over the course of the rest of the year?
2: Right now, our team is focusing on pushing out more content monthly, which mm-hmm. focuses on malware and other interesting technologies that would touch on cybersecurity, like AI. And perhaps in the near future, we'll we'll focus on we'll we'll focus more on privacy as well. And um, I'm, I'm happy to, to learn that um, our execs are actually going, going to the hands-on route when it comes to teaching children and uh, kids about cybersecurity by going to schools. And I've, already, uh, I've been already asked to to participate in that to, to a degree, and I, and I said yes. Um, so I'm excited to, to do that at some point in the future.
0: In terms of that content, uh, if anyone's interested in, in getting there their eyes or ears on it where where might they find it
2: um they may find our blog at blog.malwarebytes.com
0: blog.malwarebytes.com yeah yep yep cool perfect well look it's been a pleasure to speak to you thank you very much for taking some time out uh uh from your day to, to, to chat to us and um good luck for the rest of the year
2: thank you so much for your time as well and good luck to you right
1: right
0: what stood out to you to put you on the spot
1: i i find the education piece quite interesting yeah because i i agree with it and you might disagree with me here though i Go think on. a lot of it is down to common sense that like you get these like phishing emails come through or like scam emails i think there's only so much you can do to educate people on it but i think a lot of it has to do with, with common sense as well because i don't know do you agree with that
0: by common sense, do you mean if you get a link, don't just click on it? Yeah,
1: like I think you can or, or be suspicious about it. Because I think there are some like, phishing scams that are a lot more smarter than others in, in their approach. Cause sometimes I'll get an email come through, potentially from Apple or, I don't know, O2, and it looks, it looks super real. But I think you have to be aware, okay, what they're asking for and actually think twice about it. If something was really urgent, I think they'd get in contact with you in probably other ways and just say, here's an email, click on this link, and I, you know, it was all yeah. So I think, but then, and then they also have an approach to it a, a bit, a bit less intelligent, like someone... I,
0: I think it's really interesting that she makes the point about executives. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll circle back round to this, because recently... No, not even recently. It was a few days ago we had an email come, came, came around the Harvey Nash office that, yeah. that someone was, was impersonating Albert Ellis, the CEO, on WhatsApp and asking people for money.
1: Yeah.
0: And getting something on
1: WhatsApp. From the CEO. Well, no, but, company.:
0: I could imagine if you send that out to like 8,000 people and it's your CEO and you get a message from your CEO and he's asking for some help would people be naive enough to go oh it's the ceo and not question it i would hope that they would but would you well albert's never used i mean i'm lucky that i work in the london office and i've had conversations with albert i think if i got a whatsapp from albert at the very least i'd probably go to someone else in the business and be like this is weird and not just immediately act on it and then hopefully that person would go yeah it is super weird must be dodge.
1: Yeah, I think it depends on the relationship that you have. Because if it was me, i would you know I have any relationship with with Albert really. So I'd be like this is really out of the blue. But then if it's the MD, for example, it works quite. But closely. this this is the point. Yeah,
0: I actually think that person would be more susceptible. Like you or I getting a WhatsApp from the CEO would be odd. The FD getting a WhatsApp from the CEO would asking it? for yeah would not be quite so odd. And to say to, to to complete the circle background Businesses should conduct training for their employees from the executive down. A recent study emphasizing that executives are being targeted. I can totally see why. Communication really- is so ubiquitous and so quick that a message from a peer colleague in the boardroom going, I need help on XYZ, might dupe someone.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely there's definitely a possibility that that can dupe someone. But I think it's just being really aware because I think if anyone was to ask you for money that, you, that you're that you not particularly close with on a personal level... Yeah, You'd have to question it. Like, if, if I got that particular message, or even from, let's say, like, someone of bit close to like like, my direct manager... I would ask, and anyone in the office, let's say, I would ask someone about it. Like, it would also be slightly is, inappropriate. Yeah, it would be so inappropriate. But then so to the a CEO texting someone uh, about, you know, like a financial matter, you'd just be a bit... That's why I think a lot of it is with common sense. I wouldn't just be like, okay, here you go, I have all my money. <laughs> but I think a lot of people
0: think... They, they think of modern cybercrime and they think, because of the technology involved, they think of it, it being oh. super sophisticated and targeted. And sometimes... Actually, for the, for the most part, it's highly opportunistic.
1: Yeah. Um, Just taking advantage of that title, really, isn't it?
0: That whole, you know. I, I also um, really liked the point that uh, lots of these incidences are caused by people pulling pranks. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah,
1: that's a big one, isn't it's it? It's not always
0: malicious. No. But it no. could lead to a really bad situation. Mm. Um, and you've got to be aware that offices are full of people and people, even when they're well meaning, can be really bloody stupid. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Happens all the time doesn't it? Like, have you all, have you been pranked at work? Oh, all the time. Like yeah. not like not someone me on my emails, but someone emailing me from someone else's like, hey, do you want to go for a drink? And it's really like <laughs> not them. And it's like, okay, but you get this constantly from like everyone, that people do it to Constantly. Together. Yeah. I think you'd be surprised how often not. But I think it's more right. I don't know if I'm being a bit like if I'm being a bit generalist saying this, but I think it's more boys that tend to start to each other than what it is girls. Mm. Like, I don't know, like especially we're well here anyway. But
0: you could easily see how that could lead to an HR issue or something like uh, that. Oh yeah, if you were
1: to take it further, then you probably could. Like oh no, but
0: even if it was if it was misconstrued and then it escalated. Yeah, and, for sure. Yeah.
1: That's why it's so. Um, that's why it's tricky. You have to be careful about it, but I guess uh, as well. I guess you wouldn't be doing it. Well, like targeting someone like I wouldn't go to someone's random computer and send a joke email you'd be doing it to a friend that you know and probably targeting someone else that you know like if you were to go on someone's computer then turn the message to the CEO then you are probably asking for trouble but if yeah, you yeah, send yeah. it to your colleague then it'd be a bit more I know, understandable well I understand that's a wrong word but you know what I mean a bit more like light-hearted hopefully I am um... I really liked her um, example she gave about that Latvian man stealing money yeah, from and,
0: and the fact that it was Facebook and Google that fell for it, right? So
1: I have a story actually. Go on. So I, I saw this years ago and then I thought after hearing that, I was to double check that this story was true. Um, but I watched this program ages ago about um, internet hackers in, across the world and what their stories were. Some of them were really lighthearted, some of them were a bit more malicious. And there was um, this guy who hacked into Selena Gomez's Facebook. Right. Um, but by that, simply... That, that
0: mustn't have been... Okay, go on. But
1: by, he got onto her Facebook and then was able to get access to her emails and stuff via by, by there. But he, he wouldn't, didn't do it in some really intellectual, savvy way. He just emailed Facebook, pretended to be Selena Gomez's stepdad and said she can't get into her Facebook and at least have her password. And they sent it to him. They just gave it to him. How long ago is this? Um...
0: 2012. Right. Okay. You'd hope now that you know, because but
1: still, like you think you'd have to go for a bit more of a process to get stuff. I could do that. Yeah. Anyone can do Cause that. Because do
0: you get those emails? Every, like maybe once a year, I get an email going. Someone has tried to access your account from like yeah. Ukraine. Yeah, and you're like, well, that certainly wasn't me. <laughs> I, although I, I did nearly kind of accidentally lock down my account because I'd I'd given all of my I have given all my login details to a consultancy mm. for basically, to do some audience analysis on the podcast. for Facebook? Yeah, yeah, because, because um, Tech Talks Facebook is tied to my personal Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I got an email through going, someone is trying to access your account from West Kensington. It's like, <gasps> so I was like oh no, it's probably the consultancy. I hope it's the consultancy, because <laughs> but... I, didn't, I didn't alert them. If it's not <laughs> them, then, oh dear.
1: Um, <laughs> but this guy got told months in prison. Wow! at the end of that. So well, yeah. it's taken quite seriously. Well, yeah, it should be. Yeah. it
0: absolutely should be because yeah. it's identity theft it's fraud it's yeah um,
1: yeah
0: what do you make of this point that um, I, I well first of all if Jack was on the show he'd be devastated to hear that, they, that, that baby boomers aren't as clueless as he might make out because he hates oh, baby boomers yeah
1: I was quite surprised by
0: that it kind of makes sense because they're dealing with highly sensitive commercial information so two factor two factor authentication etc that makes sense yeah um, I was also less surprised that Gen Z are not as comfortable sharing data online as millennials. That kind of makes sense to me. Why? Because I was at university when Facebook hit the UK. Mm. uh, And it was originally targeted at university students, obviously. And we all just got on it and we'd never seen anything like it before. And I put on there date of birth Um, my mother's maiden name was on there like my name yeah it's a date of birth name all of those other bits and pieces and then in the space of about a year or so like one and a half thousand photos like we'd we'd go out on a night out
1: and you'd wake
0: up at university in your dorm Mm. and you'd be like oh I've been tagged in 30 photos (laughs) And you'd have taken 10 and you'd have been tagged in like 20 other random people's photos because everyone would sit there, go through and go, oh, there's that person in the background. Tag, 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 tag. And we just went crazy because we'd never seen anything like it before and there was no thought of, is this sensible? Yeah. Whereas if you're 15 years old today, you're a lot more aware because you've grown up in this world of what the issues could be.
1: See, I'm surprised by that though because I feel like... Except I remember when I was younger as well, you'd just post anything and upload anything. And I feel like you have these, obviously, the younger generation now, so much more access from a younger age that they're more exposed to you. think that they'd probably be, be less caring because they've been in that environment and, I guess, they've you know, been around all their lives and so it's nothing new to them. Just to be a bit more... But I think, they're more, high, I
0: think they're more aware and therefore more sensitive. I mean, you've got a yeah, younger well, sister. Yeah,
1: you can flip it, right? Does she... Does, I don't know, I mean, she hasn't accepted my follow request on Instagram, so who knows? <laughs> but, but there is that trend, <laughs>
0: isn't there, that, that younger kids are moving away from mass social networks and they chat to their friends in games rooms, things like Fortnite games rooms, etc.
1: Actually, that's a really good point, because I think when you think about it, like Facebook, when I was younger, was, was a big thing and everyone yeah. was on it, and then you had profile pages before that, like, like Bebo or MySpace, it was quite a similar format but I guess the apps will kind of move forward to yeah like Snapchat everything's private a picture will go after 24 hours and that's it it's yeah. gone. the conversations although it's
0: not gone from their services it was that or no it is now there was some never no, mind yeah. I might be wrong on that but like
1: Instagram as well you kind of just it's a selected profile of pictures yeah. that are designed to make a theme and to attract more followers to your profile right it's not like yeah, it's yeah. an open book of your life so I kind of guess how maybe inadvertently with the progress of these apps that's why people are a bit more but a bit more savvy about their privacy because yep. what they're being told to upload is more selective. Like Instagram is just pictures. There's no state. Well, there's there's stories, but they're still pictures. There mm-hmm. isn't any like statuses or updates or anything. No, like that. but people
0: do post quite long posts with photos.
1: What do you mean? Like captions?
0: Yeah, there'll be quite long bits underneath yeah.
1: It sometimes. yeah, I, uh, I guess, but I don't know. I think just the format of it all the blog okay. difference of Facebook. That's like a page of your life, isn't it? Yeah.
0: no Okay, I get that. Um, right, last point. Would you share a beer with someone over Zoom? Zoom? Yeah. So it's like Skype, isn't
1: it? Um... She's talking at the beginning yeah, about, you know, yeah, sharing, yeah. It, sharing a drink
0: with each other. I
1: just don't think it's the same.
0: I'd I, I feel weird sitting there with a bottle of beer, like, you're
1: right. Would you do it? I could see what? you doing that with Jack. <laughs> you know what?
0: I totally get that... Um, I totally get why companies are building virtual disparate teams. There's great strain on resources. It fits modern life more. It's a positive move. Um, you know, if you're a mother, a working mother, and you have a company that tells you that you have to be in the office from Monday to Friday, mm-hmm. nine to five, that company's the dinosaur. Uh, you're not unreasonable for saying no. Mm. But I like coming into work yeah like maybe I'm quite old school but I like the working
1: environment yeah it's the whole social aspect isn't it yeah yeah I think If you're going to de- dedicate nine hours a day of your life to something you kind of need to have that that social aspect to make it enjoyable like whilst you're most of your time here. I totally
0: get why companies are going in the opposite direction at the minute okay but I think if we go too far to teams uh, global teams and it's all via um, communication tools online, mm-hmm. I'll mourn the loss of an office. Yeah. I, I don't think companies really should move away. I, I think that there are elements of so-called corporate culture that actually we should cherish a little bit.
1: 100%. I think it's where the majority lies, really, because I think there are some people that actually prefer kind of that whole remoteness a lot better and just like as social beings prefer that way. Than some people, I don't mean like me or you. But humans are social. Yeah, but you mean but some people, like I think it depends on obviously the the business or the work you're doing and who you are as a person so what you prefer. Yeah. So it's just a it's, it's a balance. I hope it doesn't move that way because you're right. Like you like the human inter- interaction, you're going for a the after work on, on a Friday or whatever. Do you mean? So yeah. I think it's so dependent on like,
0: especially like, and I know this is quite specific, but when you move to a new place. That network of people around you can be absolutely vital.
1: Yeah, yeah. I and I don't it, think that's um, a
0: young person thing when they've just graduated. I think that can be mid-career. Maybe maybe you move cities. You know, you need you need a network around you at times. Yeah, it's
1: difficult. I think, like, especially in that scenario, like you need these things to help you ease into a routine and an environment. Yeah. You know, I think having that, like when I first started here. I think it was so important that people were around you, inviting you for lunch, showing you around the area, so you just feel a lot more comfortable, a lot quicker. And actually, it helps you like the company a lot more as well because you have that that kind of friendship piece that goes along with it.
0: Right. I think that'll take us into our advert break. Robin, thank you for joining us for these parts of the show. Afterwards, David Breer is going to be on the show, as I said, from Fintech Insider, so stick with us for that. Uh, But, yeah, here's our break. It's nearly the summer holidays, but school isn't quite out because General Assembly, a pioneer in education and career transformation, specialising in today's most in-demand skills, have an offer for you. So GA offer a wide range of programmes in web development, data science, user experience design, digital marketing, product management, and lots more. And for you, for our listeners, they've got an offer of 25% off their classes and workshops by applying the code TECHTALKS25 at the checkout. There are some terms and conditions. They asked me to rank them. Frankly, that's not going to happen. But I can tell you that the code is valid until August the 31st, and it's not applicable to GA's full-time, part-time, or online circuit courses. Once the code's applied, workshop tickets are non-transferable. The discount code cannot be retroactively applied to workshop tickets already purchased or used in conjunction with other discount codes. One thing, as a former technology recruiter, I can tell you that there's a real shortage of some of these skills in the market. And so with all this beautiful weather that we're having, I reckon there are far worse uses of your time than getting down there and doing a bit of continuous learning. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Uh, and on today's tech news section, actually, this is a little bit different. Um, we're joined by David Breer uh, from 11FS and FinTech, Insider, Fintech rather Insiders. Indeed, yeah. Thanks for having me on. How are you today? I'm good. I mean, I've uh, broken out the shorts now because it's getting warmer
3: and warmer, so I'm uh, Although I'm with a hoodie, happy.
0: which is an interesting choice given it is very humid.
3: I mean, I balanced it out, right? You can't go all out summer just yet, but uh, give it a couple of weeks. I don't know. It's 26 degrees outside, isn't it? And well, it's, it's 20 to 6 degrees, but also I, I nearly drowned last night
0: home, <laughs> so like London weather, right? Yeah, my hay fever's gone crazy last couple of days. It's uh, no fun at all. Anyway, never mind. Um... Look, we've had Sophie Thien on the show when she was with 11FS. I know she's just recently left, but hopefully, if people have listened to the show regularly, they'll know who you guys are. But just in case, and we have picked up listeners since that episode, thank thank God, um, <laughs> who are who are 11FS? What do you do? Um, so 11FS,
3: we're a, we're a challenger consultancy. Uh, we're really sort of brought about a group of people who think that digital really is a... Uh, a crossroads for what it really means for financial services. Mm. Uh, and because of that, actually in terms of the ways that we think, then actually we act in a very different way. Um, so for us, whether it's building a brand new greenfield organization or whether it's a, a sh- new strategy that needs to be put in place, mm-hmm. then fundamentally the, the real... Uh, paradox of what digital is, is changing the way in which people should approach those things. Um, And that's what we
0: really set out to do. So a really broad kind of question, but we've just had London Tech Week recently. I'd imagine that you were speaking at events and kind of here, there and everywhere. What themes did you start to see emerge relating to the fintech sector that you think might kind of set the direction of travel for the next six months to a year? I mean, I always kind of um, try and stand back as much
3: as possible from the individual sort of buzzwordiness of, mm. of you know AI this or blockchain that um, but it really seems that we're sort of moving into a, a period of actually people doing things with these things rather than just making announcements of their intentions so whether it's on the DLT side of things whether it's the AI side of things I mean whether it's just even big organizations really getting their you know processes together and actually being able to deliver things it feels like we're kind of moving beyond just the hype uh, really into you know an execution period which I, I'm massively in favor of you know the amount of over uh, the last five years really the amount of PR that we've seen coming out about investments in this or you know proposals to do that but you know it really feels like we've gone beyond the um, you know the, the sort of hyperbole and moving into delivery which is which is good from, from my perspective
0: but out of interest and I know it's been spoken about a lot. But Facebook's move with, with Libra, you mentioned on Fintech Insiders that this was possibly going to be another reason to open Facebook other than receiving messages from your mum. <laughs> you're working with some of the incumbents in the space. Do they see this as a, as, as a threat or just as a novelty that... You know, how do they actually feel about Facebook moving into the finance space in quite this way?
3: Um, I think um, if it was purely Facebook doing something on their own, I think people would be like, "Okay, great, this is them trying to try and find some real reason why people are going to open Messenger, why people are going to engage with Facebook." But the fact that they've actually got so many other big organisations in, uh, you know, yeah. almost a, a real consortium now to actually sort of make these things happen—it's all about partnerships at this stage in terms of where they're at. But you know, if you believe people like Mark Carney's taking this very seriously mm. uh, and not very seriously like uh, we need to regulate this out of existence but actually this is something that they really need to engage with to drive forwards then i mean i feel like if anybody can make this type of thing happen then one of the biggest connected companies on the planet is probably a good place to start um i think equally though i don't think it's the only place that this stuff is really starting to have a dent if you you know look at things like the uh, ripple MoneyGram. Uh, announcements over the last couple of weeks, then you know these things are starting to look a lot more serious than it's just people who are really excited about cryptocurrency or DLT sort of pontificating about the, what the future is going to be. Mm. This is big companies or even in the instance of somebody like MoneyGram, a traditional company who's looking at doing it completely differently and more so than just revenue opportunities taking you know 50 or 60% of their cost out of their back office. Um, so you know, It kind of feels like the technology is growing up.
0: Now, Monzo are heading over the bond. Mm.
3: How do you think they're going to do? do you know, it's an interesting one. I'm a bit skeptical, if I'm honest with you. Um, I think there's an element of pressure that Monzo are probably getting from shareholders, particularly to start figuring out actually how they show revenue. but how they continue to expand the customer base. And, you know, Tom's very um, adamant about wanting to be one of the first banks with a billion customers. The only way that they're going to do that is by marching into more geographies quicker and quicker and quicker. I think the risk that they have at that stage, though, is, um, I mean, they haven't done the UK yet. Uh, There's still a lot that they need to be doing. There's a lot of focus that needs to be on really making this geography a success. Uh, And I do worry a little bit that actually these things come down to the talent that they have within the individuals that are Mm. going to be going overseas to actually make these things happen. So, I mean, on a few instances, I'm a little bit worried about Monzo at the moment, if I'm honest with you. But I kind of feel like this one particularly, there's almost a uh, don't try to run before you're walking. Uh, And the fact that they're not really making profit yet in the UK makes me feel a bit uncomfortable that actually they're
0: taking on too much and not really focusing down. Now, something that I read recently that I thought was fascinating or a fascinating perspective on fintech was that it was a prime example of how technology can be used to address the imbalances in society mm. and someone played up the fact that you know we should stop looking at it as it, it being the crown in the uh, sorry the jewel in the crown of of technology but rather this really transformative piece of our economy look this show talks about technology across all sorts of different sectors what do you think um Someone in say med tech could take from fintech. What are the lessons that have been done well over the last couple of years that could be translated across to other sectors to make them as successful? I think the uh,
3: you know within fintech, I think the the main lesson to sort of learn is is that actually the the niches is is actually a really sort of fruitful place if you're looking at going into mar- from a market entry perspective. Mm. Um, I think usually big organisations spend so much of the time looking at. Um, Middle market, you know, where is the mass at? Yep. Um, and actually, being in a situation where we're seeing many fintech players coming in and really looking at small niches that actually big organisations haven't been able to make profitable. Uh, whether it's um, the uh, underbanked or the the financial inclusion space, or whether it's the even the very top end of the space in terms of the the wealth management side of things, then you know there are real opportunities in all of these different slices. Um, I think just because one organization at scale is doing so many things, it doesn't necessarily mean that startups should start there. Um, and it seems to me, I think the tables are very much turned. If you look in the, the fintech space, mm-hmm. almost the uh, people coming into this space are now emulating more, or rather the big organizations are now trying to emulate the small organizations more than the small organizations imitating the large organizations, which is the best way around. Because yeah. that's when you start getting into a space where the paradigm of what financial services are actually being delivered is fundamentally being changed by kind of people who were rethinking some of these things, whether it's the silos of the internal organisations for, I mean, no good reason as far as we can understand or whether it's the actual things that are being delivered out to consumers at the end of it. Um, All of this is up for grabs if you really figure out a way of not only changing what's being delivered but how
0: it's actually being delivered in the organisations. Now look, when you mentioned on Twitter that you wanted to come on a few different podcasts that was the thing that kind of piqued my interest because I will often eulogise about the benefits of having a podcast but... If it's me talking about the benefits of being on a podcast on my own podcast show, I kind of feel that 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 might seem conceited somehow. (laughs) But it's good to be able to talk to someone who who has also been running a podcast for a very long time. I mean, FinTech Insider, what, 180 countries, it's bi-weekly. You say episode 333, your website says it's five oh six i'm guessing there's additional episodes or maybe that includes some of the stuff online or yeah
3: i mean we we got all crazy with the the numbers at some point i think but either way it's been around a while it has yeah nearly um just over three years now in terms of what we're doing what was the genesis of that why why did you start a podcast i mean we we started fintech insider and and actually the sort of subsequent ones as well just really because we're in a situation where we're having really interesting conversations with people um i mean i'm not gonna lie we were in a pub round near Bank tube station with the guys from Solaris Bank. And it was one of those ones where it was like, I just feel like other people should benefit from this type of conversation because it was direct. It was kind of refreshing. It wasn't the... Kind of level of hyperbole that you 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 hear from people when they're sitting on a panel or standing on stage about how good everything is and how <laughs> wonderful. So really, what we sort of wanted is, I mean, how can you bring about something that is as entertaining as it is informative? Yeah. Uh, and that actually just brings about the real conversations that people within this community are having. Um, so for us, it was a, a great way of, you know, we're quite lucky to be able to chat to really interesting people. And I think London is the center point for this thing globally when it comes to, to fintech. So being in a situation where we could kind of amplify what's happening in London and also, I mean, just a good excuse to hang
0: out and, and have
3: a drink every week seems like a good thing to me.
0: Absolutely. I wouldn't argue with that piece. I mean, look, as someone who hosts a podcast, then are there any podcasts that you listen to where you take inspiration from their styles, their features, or... Is it I, actually kind of very much grounded in the in the world of the reality around you? I guess. I mean, I really like Masters of Scale.
3: Like, yeah. I um, I'm ne- never sure about. I mean, it's a bit too American for me on the production side of things sorry um but uh, in, in terms of the uh, the the capability that they bring forward and the types of guests that they kind of bring over as well so I've, i also kind of find there's like insightful things there i mean you know post him being on the show uh list a lot of gary vaynerchuk which i yep. always kind of find him quite a, a kind of a, a. I mean if i can't get coffee he's a great substitute for that instead people seem to have very strong reactions to him Yeah. I mean, I mean, like some people, some people like stuff, some people don't like stuff, but I think it's, um, it's all depending on uh, what you take out of the, the sort of insights, if that makes sense, you know, and actually sometimes the, I find the, the guests are as insightful, if that makes sense. Um, but to me, it's, it's all about the things that actually if you can grab a podcast that you can listen to in your downtime where you can engage with something that actually either inspires you to do something in a different way or actually just getting into something, then yeah. that for me is really what the format is great for. I think the other thing as well is like for us, it's been a, a great way of kind of establishing us as individuals, um, really you know, when you're establishing a company in the way that we've been doing with 11FS, then there's literally no way we could have competed from a marketing spend perspective with the people we compete with, you know, like the McKinsey's and the Baines and the Essentia's have got way more humans, way more marketing potential. Um, but the nice thing is, is that listening to somebody's voice for a period of time, you kind of get to know them more. So when we're in a situation where we can walk into a, a bank board or, a you know, whoever to talk about the types of work that we're, we're doing, there's a different level of connectivity than you get when you read a report. I think people's personality really comes through if you can hear their, you know, the intonations or the, the sort of earnest nature of the things that they're trying to get across, particularly in video as well. I mean, like, uh, you know, audio, people can still read a thing, but when it comes to video, there's
0: almost no place to hide. Hmm. And look, just the last one. Then there are more and more people kind of looking at podcasts as an avenue that that might be positive for their business. Um, what one or two bits of advice would you kind of say? You know, what if you're thinking about doing this, maybe think about X or Y. I mean, don't let the first ten being terrible put you off.
3: Would be my uh, yeah. Advice. No, we we wouldn't have survived um, if that was the case. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I said ten for us. It's probably more like the first fifty because, like, yeah. um, I mean, when I go back and listen to the stuff that we we put out to start with. Uh, it was pretty awful. Is it also um, available? Yeah, it's all up there. Yeah. Like, I, 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 anybody who asks me for kind of tips on tips on podcasting, I always point to episode one of, of FinTech Insider and go, look, if we got to what we're doing now from that, then anything is kind of possible, really. Yeah. Um, momentum, definitely. You know, the types of people you bring onto these things to to really have interesting uh, chats. Um, and and that's it really I mean what can what's the insight you want people to continually take out of the things that you're bringing forward because um, people get used to kind of hearing your voice but they still want to be in a situation where there's something insightful coming from it Uh, and if you don't get that you won't get people coming back
0: yeah well look it's really very kind of you to drop in uh, especially when the weather is so getting this coming across to to see us
3: I mean just some sunshine and walking about I'm happy to do that so uh, (laughs) thanks very much for having me on thank you